Hello, I hope you're doing really well right now. Today wraps up our series based on the book and the message series by James Emery White called Christianity for People Who Aren't Christians. Today we're going to ask the question, is there more than one way to God? To think of there being only one way to do anything in today's world can rub us the wrong way. I, I love options. I like choices. At Starbucks, you may be surprised to know there are 80,000 ways to order a drink. A good place to eat is Cheesecake Factory. Have you seen their menu? It's a book. There are over 250 things on this menu that you can choose from, and they're all made from scratch. That's what they claim. What's interesting is when I go to a place like Cheesecake Factory, I find a favorite, and I stick with what I know. I keep choosing the same thing over and over and over again. I'm, I guess I'm a creature of habit. I, I like the choices, but I also just like to, to focus on what I enjoy. Now, for things like food and drink, we like options. We like freedom to order what, what it is we want. In today's message, though, we're looking at something much more important than food and drink. We're asking, is there only one way to God? We're looking at issues of eternal life, purpose, meaning, and really, at the core of life, what is the ultimate reality? How should we view it? How should we live it? Many people believe that All religions get you to the top of the mountain of enlightenment to God. Basically, they're all just different ways to get to the same place. Almost like this picture of the routes for climbing Everest. You choose a path and you you get there. So let's see how Jesus answers today's question. Is there only one way to God? Here's what he says in John 14:6 in the midst of a dialogue between he and one of his disciples. Jesus said to him, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Prior to this statement, Jesus was teaching about his resurrection, his return to heaven, some important details of all of that, and he made this statement In response to a question from Thomas, one of his earliest followers, this is the same Thomas who's been nicknamed Doubting Thomas because he's the guy who said he wouldn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead and unless he was able to touch his side where the sword went in and touch his palms where the scars from the nails were. Thomas asked a lot of questions, and personally, I really appreciate his asking questions because we get answers like Jesus gave right here. Questions lead to answers. That's why we're asking them in this series. And Jesus was never afraid of questions. He welcomed honest questions from his followers. So we can do the same. In this passage, Jesus 
is explaining that he's going to heaven to prepare a place for his followers. And then he says, you know the way to the place where I am going. And here's what Thomas says in response to that statement. John 14, 5. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? (laughs) Interesting, isn't it? And then Jesus makes the statement we read in John 14, 6. Jesus' answer to that question is, I am the way. I'm the path. I'm the route to life. I'm the path to God. I am the way up the mountain to, to reach God and eternal life. I am the truth. I am what is true and what is real. That which is secure, what you can stand on, what you can build your life on, that has integrity and will hold up. And I am the life. Life is vitality. Being alive in every sense. And then Jesus concludes, no one comes to the Father except through me. This same kind of statement is found in Acts, and it shows that those who were listening to this teaching by Jesus and the dialogue between he and Thomas really got it. They understood exactly what he's saying, because in the early days of the Christian movement, here's what the disciples said, Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No doubt about it. We take note that Jesus himself and therefore all of Christianity is saying there is not another way to God. There is only one way, truth, and life, and it's Jesus himself. How does that set with you? It, it's, it feels so harsh and arrogant to say that there's only one way. But I want to ask you to hang in there as I walk through this message, because I, I hope, my hope is that you'll see why this must be so by the end of this message. Let's think about all the other religions and our own morality, in fact. What about these other religions? There are many authoritative texts, the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the Book of Mormon, there's a bunch. There's a choice of religious leaders, Krishna, Buddha, Muhammad. There are similar morals that are taught in each of the other world religions to Christianity. Uh, there, there is a basic moral teaching that runs across all of the, all of the major world religions. And so that, that leads us to say, hey, they're just the same. All of these, all of these religions are just alike. However, just because there's some truth in other places doesn't mean that it's an equal and valid and legitimate way to God. For instance, 
the full teaching of the Buddhist religion takes you in exactly the opposite direction that Christianity does. The Dalai Lama himself, who's considered the most important monk in Tibetan Buddhism, he stated that the central doctrines of Buddhism and Christianity are not compatible. They aren't at all. And so he's pointing out the difference between truth with a capital T and truth with a lowercase t. There, there can be moral and helpful things in other religions, but Jesus and Christianity conclude that there's no other way to heaven except through Jesus. He is the way. Christians believe that the Bible contains God-breathed words to us. It's the source of truth with a capital T, in other words. It is the in the revealed word of God where we learn about who we are and Jesus Christ's plan to rescue us. If this is true, not all religions are valid because their beliefs cancel each other out. You can do that with just really a cursory reading of the, the major world religions. Now, another pertinent question to ask is related to us as individuals. What about sincere, good, and moral people? Maybe other religions don't make sense, but what if we just try to be good and try to be kind? And that makes sense to us because we, we tend to have a works-based or I-need-to-earn-my-favor-with-God approach to life. Here's a song written by Laurie McKenna and made famous by Tim McGraw. Let's listen to this together. Go to church because your mom says to Visit Grandpa every chance that you can Won't be wasted time Always stay humble and kind Hold the door, say please, say thank you Don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie I know you got mountains to climb But always stay humble and kind The message of this song is helpful and it shows some specific ways to be humble and kind. But if you build your life on your own morality, on being humble and kind, what about when you're prideful and rude? What about when you're arrogant and, and unkind? What do you do when you mess up? That puts a lot of pressure on my own power to be good. If we try to tip the scales to be good enough to do more good than bad, who's in charge of reading the scales and or making sure the scales are balanced in the first place? James Emery White says, faith is like a rope. It matters what it's tied to. In Christianity, our, our faith is not tied to our own goodness or 
our own measurement of it or someone else's measurement of our own goodness. It's tethered to Jesus, who is the way to forgiveness. He's the way and the revealed truth that shows us the way to life itself, to eternal life. We can know God through Jesus Christ, and we can understand reality from his perspective. Here's a bottom line question that we ask. Is God going to send everyone else to hell? That is, everyone who refuses to follow Jesus Christ? That seems so harsh that God would send everyone who doesn't choose faith in Christ to hell, especially those who are sincere, those who are moral, those who try their best to do good. And I would say most of the time, because no one tries to do good all the time that I know of anyway. And this is a fair sentiment. I mean, it, it's, it's a good question to ask. So let's give it some thought. When we think this, and when we ask this question, what we're really saying is, it doesn't matter what I believe, but how I believe. What really matters is my sincerity and nothing else. And there's a serious problem with this way of thinking. How you believe does matter. You must be sincere, but what you believe also matters because you can be sincerely wrong. I've mentioned this a few, few times and an extreme example is if I'm taking an Advil for a headache, but I'm really, I think I'm taking Advil and I'm sincerely thinking it's going to help my headache, but it's really cyanide, my sincerity won't make a difference. I'm going to die. If I believe I'm putting saline in my eyes, but in reality it's carbolic acid, I'm going to seriously damage my eyesight. Sincerity matters, but it's not all that matters. It doesn't alter physical or moral reality. This is the backdrop. All of this discussion is the backdrop for the question we're asking. Is God going to send everyone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ and follow him as Lord to hell? If you dig into the Bible, you discover that God desires that no one goes to hell and experiences the horrors of it as a consequence of their broken relationship to him. He wants everyone to accept his gift of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 
God loves the entire world so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save us. If we believe in him, which means that we believe him enough to trust him and follow his direction in every part of our lives, he gives eternal life. We will not perish, but we will have eternal life. God didn't make us to be mindless robots with no freedom of choice. We can accept the gift that he's given and gain eternal life, or we can reject the gift that he's given and experience the consequences of our choice. If there weren't conscious, if there weren't consequences to our choices, our choices would be meaningless. And this choice especially would be meaningless. On judgment day, God will merely honor the choice that we've made to believe in him through Christ or not. He will honor that choice. John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So our question is, how can a loving God send someone to hell? And the answer is this, he doesn't. We send ourselves. James Emery White says, If you're drowning at sea and someone comes alongside of you in a boat and offers you to bring, offers to bring you into their boat and you refuse, that's on you. If you refuse their help, then they aren't sending you to death. You are. You're choosing it. Hell exists because of our decision to rebel against God, and we send ourselves if we go. God will do the right and just thing by every person that he's made. We will go where we have decided to after this life. Here's a similar question. Why would a loving God have something like hell in existence. Why did he even create the place? The existence of heaven hell shows us that the universe we live in is moral. That's why it's so important. Do, do you really want to live in a universe without hell, without consequences, where pedophiles are praised and rapists are celebrated? We, we don't want that. Boy, we, that, that, we scream against that. Nothing in that universe is seen as sin. I, I completely understand that hell is a disturbing thought. It's disturbing to me. It's a hard-edged truth. But it's completely necessary because the universe would be a moral free-for-all without it. Hell is a horrific truth, but its existence isn't evil. Its existence is what is moral. Another relevant question is this. 
What about people who have never heard the gospel? They never heard that Jesus came to save us. Or people who are too young or maybe mentally challenged and and can't really understand the gospel story, the good news about what God has done. So they can't believe in Jesus. They can't make that choice. The answer for that is found in the character of God. He will do what's right by everyone. Our God is a very good God, and he will do what's just and right before all the people, for all the people that he's made. The real issue, issue, it's not hypothetical. The real issue for you and for I is you and I. God is a very good, loving, and gracious God. He is the perfect mixture of grace and truth. John 1.14 says, when speaking about Jesus and his stepping into our world, it says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace is what is freely given and undeserved. It's getting what you don't deserve, and it's not getting what you do deserve. Apart from the grace of God, we are all going to lose our life and pay the full penalty of sin. You may have heard this illustration before, but imagine that you commit vehicular homicide and you're brought to trial. The judge states, I find you guilty and I sentence you to death. Then he does a really strange thing. He steps down from the bench, he embraces you, and he says, I will die in your place. And then he goes out of the courtroom and into the execution chambers. This is what Jesus did for you and I. He is the perfect blend of grace and truth. Grace and truth go together. Truth without grace is judgment. Grace without truth is deception. And grace is like a band-aid. It, it must be applied to something. That's what it's meant to be anyway. It's meant to be applied. It's applied to someone who messes up, who sins, but they admit it, and that's when the grace flows. Grace applied is something we all need to do. So what do I do with all of this information? I hope that you'll apply the grace of God to your life by believing in Jesus Christ and giving yourself to follow him, accepting his gift of eternal life. Here's a video that explains the core message of Christianity, and it shows us how to apply grace to ourselves. God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world. He made us rulers of the world under him. 
You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Revelation 4.11 But is that the way it is now? We all reject the ruler, God, by trying to run life our own way without him. But we fail to rule ourselves or society or the world. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Romans 3:10-12. What will God do about this rebellion? God won't let us rebel forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. Man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Hebrews 9:27. God's justice sounds hard, but because of his love, God sent his son into the world, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus always lived under God's rule. Yet by dying in our place, he took our punishment and brought forgiveness. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 1 Peter 3.18 But that's not all. God raised Jesus to life again as the ruler of the world. Jesus has conquered death, now gives new life, and will return to judge. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1.3 Well, where does that leave us? The two ways to live. Our way. Reject the ruler, God. Try to run life our own way. Result? Condemned by God. Facing death and judgment. God's new way. Submit to Jesus as our ruler. Rely on Jesus' death and resurrection. Result? Forgiven by God. Given eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. John 3.36 Which of these represents the way you want to live? What God has done against the stark reality of hell is to offer his hand to pull you out of the pit of hell. We deserve hell because of our rebellion against God. But our gracious, loving God offers us eternal life instead. But we have to make the choice. We have to choose to believe in him and to follow him. If you've never accepted the grace of God and decided to follow him as Lord, I pray that you will today. You can do that by telling God that you admit to being a sinner, that you believe that Jesus Christ was born, lived on this earth, died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, and rose again to, to life on the third day. And then commit yourself to follow Jesus Christ as Lord, which means boss, A. B, C. Admit, believe, commit. If you've already decided to follow Jesus, 
I hope that you'll learn to share the core message of God's grace and hope with your friends and family and neighbors. And after hearing this message, I would love nothing more than for you to either accept Jesus Christ for the very first time or accept the challenge of learning to share the good news that we steward as a church and as Christ followers to share that good news with others. So here are some next steps that I want to suggest today. My next step is to, for the very first time, I'm committing my life to Christ as Lord and Savior. Also, another step would be to pray for an opportunity to share the good news, to get ready for that opportunity to learn how to share the good news of the gospel like we shared in that two ways to live illustration, maybe learn that illustration or another illustration, but get prepared to share it and pray for an opportunity to do so. And then another step is to invite someone, either a family member or a friend or a neighbor, to engage with CIV. That's a way to help people to discover Christ as we do our mission as a church together. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the truth that we've talked about in this message. Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. And Lord God, you have made a way for us. Father, you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, out of love so that we could know the way. Help help everyone who doesn't yet know you and haven't yet committed their life to follow you, do so, God. I pray that you draw them to yourself. And I pray that those of us who've decided to follow you would steward your message well that you've entrusted to us and that we would be faithful to share it as the opportunity arises. Help us to have the power to take the steps that you've laid on our hearts to take today. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.